Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me. We are home in Eugene after uh, a week-long trip to Los Angeles, which was very difficult, I have to say. It, it was <laughs> uh to be in Los Angeles for a week. But we we leave Eric L.A. covering a, a Rose Bowl game in which Oregon wins 28-27. Uh, thrilling victory. Oregon finishes the season 12 and 2, Pac-12 champions, Rose Bowl champions, uh, and, and a season in which I think expectations were met and at the very least and, and probably exceeded based on how the season parlayed and, uh, how the game at the Rose Bowl, uh, played out. Yeah, no, I think you look back at this season and, and it's going to be, we talked about this on the podcast. Uh, right, you know, post game edition. Uh, but you look back at this season, I think it's going to be considered one of the best in the in the 2010 decade. Uh, obviously, they reached the national championship a couple times and, and won another Rose Bowl. Um, you know, you know, mixed in there. But this is a really special season, and I think in part because of the journey that this group, that senior class, had to get here. Of you know, they start out with a really, really f- tough first couple of seasons, four wins, seven wins. Um, but just the growth that you saw and then the way that they played this season, like there was not a game all year that they were outmanned, that they were outmatched, that, they, that the other team was better. And, uh, you know, they're a play defensively here against Auburn or a play defensively there um, against Arizona State, probably from being one of the four teams playing in the college football playoff. But, um, you know, I think they made the most of, of the season because, you know, you go back to that Arizona State game and that was a devastating loss. Matt and I were both down there for that one. Um, you could sense how much that one hurt, especially the senior class of knowing some of the goals were eliminated. But the way they rebounded, I know it wasn't super pretty against Oregon State. Probably not the one of you know probably one of the worst games they played all season was in that game. But they they win there, they do enough to win, and going out and beating Utah in the fashion that they did, I don't think a lot of people expected it to be that dominant of a win. And then winning a Rose Bowl, you know, finishing the season with with three with three straight wins after that devastating Arizona State loss, I think says a lot about this group and. You exit the season again, like I said kind of earlier, I think with a sense of, man, this is one of the best seasons, you know, certainly of this decade and, and, and certainly this century. And kind of you know, if you were to look through the history of, of the program, this season is going to be remembered and revered, uh, you know, as one of probably the five or six best individual seasons. So um, a, a heck of a run and, and a really fun way for it to end and probably fitting that it ends in the fashion that it does where the defense goes out and forces a bunch of turnovers and the offense does just enough uh, to get Oregon a 28-27 win. Yeah, you, you brought it up. I was going to if you didn't. Oregon had just 13 first downs in that game. Uh, five came via the running game. Seven came via the passing game. One via penalty. Uh, Oregon ran for just 66 yards. They averaged 2.2 yards per carry. They did score three touchdowns. Uh, they also threw for just 138 yards. Herbert completed 14 of 21 passes, uh, 20 passes, excuse me, because Juwan Johnson had one of those uh, passes. Uh, 
they did throw one interception. Average per completion, 9.9 yards for Justin Herbert. Ducks finished with just a shade over 200 yards of total offense, 204. Uh, big thing here is they only ran 51 plays in this game, and that was in large part because in that third quarter, the Wisconsin Badgers had the football for, I want to say, 13 minutes of game time, and Oregon had the ball for one possession, uh, a three and out, and then Wisconsin uh, drove the you know the length of the field again. And uh, you said it best: Oregon's defense won them this football game. Herbert had three touchdowns and you know three touchdown runs, and that was the impressive play. And you know most importantly, his thirty yard run to to you know score the game winning touchdown. But the defense, I thought, time and time again with their backs up against the wall, being out on the field for thirty eight minutes of game time. Uh, and to only allow Wisconsin uh, 18 first downs and 322 yards of total offense uh, to shut down Jonathan Taylor, the arguably the best running back in college football the last two years, to just 94 yards on the ground. He did have uh, 43 yards through the air in the receptions, uh, one of those being a 34-yard catch on a fourth down play at, at, at that, but their best player was held in check, and Oregon basically said, hey, uh, Jack Cohen, you need to win the game for, for Wisconsin, and he could not do that. He threw for 186 yards and one touchdown, one interception, but you know there wasn't any guy out there, I thought, from a receiving standpoint, that was just un- unguardable for Oregon. Yeah, and you look back at this game, and Wisconsin scores 27 points, which is above the, the season average for Oregon's defense in terms of what they allowed. But you look through the numbers a little more closely, really just three drives that were sustained that ended in points. You know, the first touchdown drive comes off the kickoff return, and the second yep. scoring drive comes off the Justin Herbert interception. And they, on they short gained, field. Yeah, and they gained one or two yards before kicking a short field goal. The rest of the game, those last, uh, those scoring drives, 53 yards for a touchdown, 65 yards for a touchdown, 51 yards for a field goal. Um, they didn't have a single drive all game where they really had to go the length of the field to get in the end zone. Um, you know, the other ones were, were aided by field position, by, you know, the, the first touchdown, a kickoff return, which, by the way, I don't know why they kept kicking to that kid. <laughs> every time <laughs> yeah, he touched no the football, sense. every time Cruikshank touched the football, it was like, watch out. And he took that one right before the half to midfield goal, midfield, they score again. Um, and then again, yeah, like I said earlier, a couple of short fields that led to other touchdown and, and the field goal drive there. Um, the, the, this Oregon defense did what it kind of done all season, which was make enough plays to give the offense a chance to win, which is why I, I really think you kind of, the more time you get away from this game and you kind of reflect back on it, it's kind of a perfect uh, encapsulation of this season of the, the Oregon offense was just good enough to win and the Oregon defense made enough plays to give the offense a chance to win because if they don't force one of those turnovers, they don't win this game. And if, you know, if Brady Breeze doesn't recover that punt, I mean, the, the margin of victory for Oregon here was very, very small. I mean, I don't think we felt throughout the game, and again, it's, you know, I just ran through the Wisconsin drive chart in terms of their scoring drives. The Oregon's drive chart was very much the same of, like, they had the one opening drive for 75 yards and a touchdown, but after that, it was all on short fields um, that, that, that they scored. So, um, the, again, the offense just did enough. The defense made the plays that when they needed to, and um, this is going to be, again, a, a season that you look back on and go, they were just winners. They found a way to win games. They, they didn't always win. You know, you pretty, look back at, 
Yeah, if you look back at the Chip Kelly era and, and those game, you know, those teams oftentimes were winning these kind of games, you know, by four or five touchdowns. Maybe not Rose Bowls, but, but, but big games by, you know, pretty large margins. This year's teams didn't always do that. Um, they did have some blowouts throughout the season. Obviously the game at USC stands out, the home game against Colorado, those two non-conference home games, they won pretty dramatically too. But, uh, a lot of games this season where they just kind of had to find a way to win in the fourth quarter, and this is another example of that where they just made enough plays to do it. Um, like you said, it wasn't always pretty, but they got the job done. And I think that's sort of the way I'll think back on this 2019 team of uh, they just they just did enough to win. They were winners, and, and that's not always the way these teams have been. And I think you have to be really excited if you're Mario Cristobal about what his team showed this year and then finding a way to kind of carry that over to the next decade. Justin Herbert was named the MVP of the offensive side of the football for Oregon. I don't think that was a surprise since he scored all the points. Uh, Brady Breeze defensively was named the MVP of the game. He had 11 tackles, one forced fumble, which got Oregon the ball back for Herbert to score the game-winning touchdown. He had a fumble return for 31 yards and also a touchdown on that fumble return. He also had a huge pass breakup on a deep shot. Uh, I think in the, in the third quarter that Wisconsin tried to take, it looked like it was going to be a home run play for a touchdown. Uh, he broke that one up. Breeze was all over the place. You know, nine solo tackles, like I said, with his 11 total. Uh, Troy Dye was fantastic for Oregon. He had nine tackles. He forced a fumble in that game. Uh, I really thought Oregon's DBs and Javon Holland, Thomas Graham, Diomede Lenore, Nick Pickett, and obviously Breeze, they all tackled well. I think that was, one of the things after going back and watching that game again uh, a second and third time was the amount of growth that Oregon's secondary and defense in general has made in terms of wrapping up. I mean, it was almost like at the end of the year, especially in the, in the Rose Bowl, it felt like in a one-on-one situation, Oregon wasn't going to miss. They were going to get their guy down. No, 100% on that. And, and you go back and you're right. When you, when you watch it again, that, that I think is something that strikes you. There are a couple of times where Taylor carried defenders downfield because he's just got such strong legs. You can kind of see, I think he's declared for the draft. Now you can see why, uh, his future is going to be so bright professional. I think that's going to be, again, you look back at the last time Oregon beat Wisconsin, they had a guy named Russell Wilson at quarterback. And I think even then you were kind of like, he's going to be special. I think the same thing with, with Jonathan Taylor in terms of a pro and, and, you know, the times when Oregon had a hard time bringing players for Wisconsin down, it was it was almost always when he was carrying the football just because he's so big and strong. But you're right. In terms of the open field, I thought um, Cephas for Wisconsin was really strong and, and a difficult guy. And I know he had some success, but Oregon did a really good job of bottling him up in terms of yards after the catch. And that was definitely the case. I mean, you look at all three tackles for loss for the game, and they're all by defensive backs. And I think they were all on screen passes or at least plays that were kind of out. Uh, that were off passes. Um, Holland had, I know he had one. I know Graham had one. I can't remember if Lenore's was um, on a pass play or not. But e- either way, I mean, the, the, those plays were made because the defensive backs read the play, rallied to the ball, and just and, and were able to make the play behind the line of scrimmage. And um, this is a group that really improved in that regard throughout the season. You think back to that Stanford game. I know that's a game where they were pretty dominant, but there were a couple drives there where Stanford was able to kick a couple field goals early in that game, and Oregon's defensive backs in particular just had a hard time making plays. Um, this game here was, you know, they, you're right, they, they didn't miss a lot of tackles. And, um, you know, if they do bring all these guys back, which, again, we, we've kind of, I'm, I'm a little surprised that we haven't heard from any of the underclassmen, we should mention, in terms of NFL decisions quite yet. But 
if they do return all those guys, you're looking at guys that are not only really pretty strong in coverage, and that's reflected upon based upon you know the interceptions they have this year, the low completion percentages by opposing quarterbacks, but also really, really reliable in space in terms of making tackles. And a ton of credit to not only Andy Avalos for this defense, but Keith Hayward and Dante Williams for that group because I think throughout the season, and I'm going to have my final season grades up on the site here later in the week, that that group, the defensive backs, I'm going to give my highest position grade. I can almost guarantee it, and I think it's justifiably so because they were pretty dang consistent all season, and there's really just not a big drop-off from one guy to the next. I mean, with the way Brady Breeze was playing at the end of the season, I think Nick Pickett also stepped his game up with how good the corners were all season with how good Javon Holland was all season is probably honestly the most talented of that group of a guy like Verone McKinley, who was, you know, an all conference caliber player for much of the season. He's barely playing in the Rose Bowl because of Breeze taking his game to another level. Yeah. Um, th- that's a group that played at an extremely high level. And, and you're right. I think was integral in, in kind of this outcome as well. Oregon finishes the year, like I said, beginning 12 and two um, final rankings won't come out for another week or so after the national championship game is played on the 13th. Uh, but, it's fair to say Oregon's going to be a top five team or so. You know, they came into the bowl game sixth. Uh, a couple teams ahead of them have lost. Uh, it, Oregon played a very, 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 very good Wisconsin team who was eighth in the country, uh, very highly respected nationally. So I think Oregon probably will just move up one spot, you know, probably end of the year fifth. Let's just say that's where they, they, they land. Um, I, I think this was a game in which Mario Cristobal really needed this Oregon program really needed because he's selling a vision. He's installing a, a, an idea that Oregon football is known to be physical, to be, you know, controlling of the line of scrimmage, sound on defense, having one of the best defenses in the country, having an offense that when it needs to make the plays at the most opportune time, they will do it. Um, and it kind of just, for a lack of a better term, validates everything that Cristobal has been installing into his players and is out on the trail talking about because now he's basically accomplished everything that he could uh, outside of getting to the college football playoff because he's developing players into NFL players, he's winning the big games, and he's now been able to go out and win a conference championship and win – you know, a marquee top four or five bowl game, uh, probably top three. If you playoffs, you know, the, the two playoff games and then, you know, the Rose Bowl is probably the most important bowl game out there. So, you know, this was, I, I think, a really big victory from a big picture standpoint for Crystal Ball and his Oregon football program in his eyes. Well, you know, I think one thing, one way to look at it is that Oregon went out here and against two of the programs that are known for physicality, for being big and strong in the trenches in Utah and Wisconsin. In the final two games of the season, Oregon went against those programs and was the better team and the more physical team. And I know a lot of things broke Oregon's way, I think, in this Rose Bowl game. Obviously, all the turnovers, I think Oregon forced those turnovers. Those weren't unforced turnovers. Those are head on the hat of the ball. Those are in the right place at the right time. Those are forcing a quarterback into making a mistake stripping the ball out of a running back's hands. Um, those are the type of plays they made there. But they went out against some really physical teams, and you're right. I think the, the, the kind of the, one of the mission state, statements for this program under Mario Cristobal has been to kind of establish that physicality um, and, and that toughness because for so long on a national level, I think the perception of Oregon has been that they're a finesse team or a team that's, that wins based upon speed and scheme and 
spreading teams out and being, you know, but that's not the way Mario Cristobal, that's not his vision for this program at all. And I think to go out and, and to beat Utah the way they did, a team that also brands itself as big and physical in, in Wisconsin, which frankly, like, I, you just look at the, the country. I can't think of a team that really frames itself more around being just the big, bad guys up front that are going to dominate the line of scrimmage and wear you out than the Wisconsin football program. And for Oregon to go out and beat those teams in consecutive games, I think really speaks to, you're right, with just kind of uh, Cristobal being able to communicate what his vision is for the program and having success doing so. Because, um, you know, you could have gone out and, and played – uh, you know, like someone like LSU possibly in a bowl game. And, you know, that would have been obviously a really, really tough matchup. We saw what they did to Oklahoma. But that wouldn't have been a program that, at least not right now, really prides itself, you know, playing kind of the same way that Oregon does. So you're, I, I think in terms of accomplishing, hey, we want the, the rest of the country to recognize that we're not some small West Coast finesse, you know, uh we don't play real football kind of thing. And I'm, that's sort of been the perception. I'm not saying that's what the reality has been. No, we're a big physical football program. I think they went out and did a fantastic job of accomplishing that in two games and with, with the national, you know, with the nation watching, um, both of those games, you know, a lot of people watch the Pac-12 championship game. A lot of people obviously watch the Rose Bowl. Um, 16 I think, million watch the Rose Bowl, which is a fantastic, fantastic number. I think, you know, the Pac, you know, in terms of Pac-12 numbers, Oregon, clearly the team that people nationally want to see the most. I think what was it? Four of the top six games. I saw a tweet this year where, where games Oregon were playing in, um, I think the rest of the country's got a pretty good idea of what, who Mario Cristobal is now and what he wants this program to stand for and that it's not the program that was run under Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich at the beginning of this decade where it was, you know, you're going to be out, you're going to be small, maybe a little bit smaller, but you're faster and, and you, you, you kind of are innovating things. This is a program that is now big, strong, and physical and, and they went out and, and again, they proved that, I think, um, this last week. And it also sets up now the vision of you know, Chris Ball can go out on the recruiting trail and talk to these recruits, whether it's the 2020 class that's that's going to be finalized in the next six weeks, or if it's 2021 or 2022, he can go out and talk to these recruits and have actual substance to lean back on, actual results to you know to show them, you know, hey, look at this championship ring that we got last season at Oregon by doing what I'm exactly pitching to you right now, this idea of Oregon football, it it will win at Oregon. And uh, that that's going to – there's not going to be a price tag you can put on that uh, for, for Oregon football and for Mario Cristobal uh, in the years to come of being able to, to go out and, and have the ability to say, hey, the proof is in the pudding and here it is. You know, we're, we're winning and we're doing it the way that we are – wanting to do it and everyone out there that's negative recruited Oregon basically has to shut up now because I mean he's beaten Washington two years in a row. He went down in in, in the in the Pac twelve South and uh dominated the, the two you know best teams from the Pac twelve South this season in USC and Utah. Uh they didn't lose to a single team in the Pac twelve North this year. They you know went toe to toe with an SEC school. I mean maybe that's the only thing that's out there is the SEC looms over. Uh, but they went toe to toe and beat uh, a Big Ten team that's built uh, like a like like an SEC squad from you know controlling the line of scrimmage, front sevens, massive, deep, you know, really elite defense, big bodies, run the football type of deal. Uh, you know, everything out there that was a knock on crystal ball has basically been washed away. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and from a recruiting perspective, you see Oregon these last two cycles recruit at such a high level. That was without these type of results. And I think that's one of the reasons you should be really excited going forward with you know, maybe it's not how they finish 2020 because most of the top kids have already made decisions and, and I'm sure there are going to be some highly regarded guys that end up ducks that aren't already committed. Um, but you look at 2021 and go, that's the year where Oregon is going to have the momentum of this last season of winning the Rose Bowl, winning 12 games, of, of winning the conference, of, of really kind of proving to be the best out West. And can they parlay that into, I know the last two recruiting cycles have gone really, really well, 7th in 2019. I think they're now 13th in 2020 after I think Notre Dame added a guy or something and they jumped him. But um, I think you look at 2021 as the, the cycle where Oregon is now going to have the momentum of some success on the field behind them. They're going to have uh, the recruiting, I mean, just the success in terms of recruiting some of these elite guys, that, that can benefit you from cycle to cycle of, oh, wow, look at all these five stars at Oregon. I think you look at 2021 as the cycle where Oregon could take even another step here. Um, already off to a really good start, but maybe they parlay that into um, another another year where they just continue to improve things, where they go from, hey, maybe it's two five-stars in 2020. Maybe they pull in more than that in 2021 and beyond. I think you have to be really excited, though, with, like you said, of, uh, you know, they're, doing, they're having some results and success on the field. I think that's got to parlay into some success on the recruiting trail, even though we've seen a lot already. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always talking uh, Oregon football 2019. Let's go back now just the last four years. Justin Herbert's legacy at Oregon. Uh, he finishes his career a, a, as a duck with four years. He threw over 1,200 yards, uh, over 10,500 yards passing. Uh, excuse me, 1,200 attempts. 10,541 yards passing. He threw for 95 touchdowns, 23 interceptions. Uh, he did run, uh, for 560 yards and three touchdowns, uh, four of which came, or three of which came, uh, against Wisconsin. Um, I think he was going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks at Oregon from a, from a statistical standpoint. This season, but the decision to come back and to lead Oregon to uh, a Pac-12 championship to see a season in which they don't lose to anybody in the Pac-12 North, uh, they win the Pac-12 championship game against Utah, and then in the Rose Bowl win it. I think he's gone from being one of 
statistically one of the best quarterbacks ever at Oregon, uh, and a guy that's going to be, you know, thought highly of by the fan base, but not maybe the top three or four best quarterbacks of all time. It's now where I think he's in that discussion because of his senior season and because of how the year ended with Oregon winning the Rose Bowl, uh, and the role that he played in that. I think his, he had one of his best years statistically at Oregon ever, uh, and, uh, you know, one of the, and he's gonna, you know, he led the Ducks to one of the best seasons in program history. And I think that's gonna l- land him in Oregon history's war books of glory as one of the best players to ever come through the program to play at, at the quarterback position. Well, I mean, you look at where he's at all time in terms of passing yards. He's second behind Marcus Mariota and he's only 250 yards behind him. And of course, Mariota only played three seasons. Herbert played four seasons with one year where he was I guess a couple of seasons where he wasn't the full-time starter based upon injury and then just kind of the way the 2016 season started. Um, Herbert also second in passing touchdowns with 95. Uh, Mariota, the only one above him on this as well, with 105. So statistically, you're right. He is right at the top there um, of a number of stats. And, you know, I think when you look back at his career, um, I think back to this this spring when I was putting together um, I guess last spring now it is because we're into 2020 now. Um, but back, you know, just in, I was putting together my rankings for each position group for the decade, and I had Herbert behind Darren Thomas in terms of 2010 quarterbacks. And that was largely because Thomas had won more. He'd had some success. He had won a Rose Bowl. He'd had a perfect season where they went and played in a national championship game. Um, and Herbert really didn't have any of those accolades to look at. I mean, you look at what, what was his defining team achievement to that point was, I guess, they won a Red Box Bowl and they'd beaten Washington once. Um, you know, coming into the season, he didn't have a ton of those type of things. But you look at the way this season developed, and you're right. I mean, you can check off a lot of things off the box, or check a lot of boxes this year. I mean, they won the conference championship. It was almost a perfect Pac-12 season, which would have been the first ever in the Pac-12 play. No, no Pac-12 team has ever gone 9-0. and The best was Oregon, um, like I just mentioned with Darren Thomas, and that was the la- one of the last seasons they had the Pac-10. Um, and he won a Rose Bowl. And there's not that many quarterbacks at all that can say that they've won a Rose Bowl, just Darren Thomas and Marcus Mariota this decade. So um, a-, a ton that he was able to accomplish this season. And then I think the fact that he's a local kid, and has a great story, um, I think that plays into it as well. And I think you'll look back at, at where he stands amongst the all-time greats. And I think he's yeah, he's in the discussion for sure. I mean, I don't think anyone is touching Marcus Mariota. I don't think – I mean, that's going to take an awful lot no, no. to accomplish. I mean, you need somebody to come in and win a Heisman. You need someone to come and probably lead you to maybe a national championship win to get there. And who knows, maybe it's somebody – that's going to be on the roster in the next decade. Who knows? It could happen. But Marcus Mariota is, I think, kind of untouchable at this point. But you could make a decent argument that Herbert is number two on some sort of all-time list based upon the statistics, based upon the season he just led Oregon on. Um, and that's the human element. I mean, he's from Eugene. He, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's every absolutely. kid in the state of Oregon, and in particular in Eugene, that that grew up playing football, wanted to play for Oregon. Yeah, that definitely plays into it. I think that's part of the reason why Joey Harrington, I know he's not from Eugene, but he's an Oregon kid, and I think that's part of the reason that that was such a great story when he was at Oregon and, and, this, and the success uh, that he led them to. So I, I think Herbert, you know, I know he, he had his faults, and I think even in his final game you could see that. He didn't throw the ball very well, but this kid wanted to win football games, and I think you look back, and I don't think there 
is a better way for a player to end his collegiate career than the way Herbert did in terms of he ends it winning a Rose Bowl where things weren't going his way, where he had to win it, running the football, which is something he never did at a very high level, although I think it was pretty clear he was capable of doing. Um, This was a fantastic way for him to end his career, and I think, like like I was saying earlier, I think you can look back and say he's, yeah, he's in the discussion as one of the top two or three quarterbacks all time, and that's not something that we would have been even – comfortable discussing coming into the season and that's just how much this year meant to him yeah and i think the the leadership standpoint was all overblown i mean look at to a player defensively offensively uh and how they've reacted to herbert during the season in the rose bowl post game rose bowl you know that that guy has the full command of that locker room and you know as, as he goes on to the nfl i don't know what He's what kind of success he's going to have. I I personally think if he's given the chance to to sit and to learn for a year or or maybe even two years, uh, kind of how Jimmy Garoppolo or Aaron Rodgers uh, were able to do in their previous, you know, when, when they first got into the NFL, I think he could be very successful. But if if you know, I could also see though if if he gets put onto a team that's not very good and has to play right away, yeah, it could be bumpy, it could be rocky, and it, it could be a toss up of you know the type of success he would have. I I, I thought Mariota was going to be a star in the NFL, and he clearly is not. But I can tell you right now, he's going to have command of that locker room. He's he's not going to have issues. I think uh, leading this team uh, wherever he goes at the NFL level. Uh, in, in terms of on the field and off the field performance, uh, and he's going to leave Oregon as one of, if not the, you know, top three or four best quarterbacks to ever play uh, at the position for the Ducks. Um, real quick, Eric, let's now look ahead to 2020 for the football season. I think uh, we're waiting on some final decisions made by some juniors, uh, whether they come back to school for their senior seasons uh, or if they go off to the NFL. Austin Folio, a junior defensive end, defensive lineman, he has put in uh, an NFL draft advisory board recommendation. Uh, he was told to come back to school. Um, I don't think that was a surprise. That was one more of, hey, we have four of these that we can give out each, each year. Let's give one to Austin and see what he says. He's probably the best you know, underclassman right now for the draft. Uh, but the other three, Thomas Graham, Diomola, Lenore, two corners. Uh, Graham has been a three-year starter. Lenore, this is his second year as a starter for the Ducks. And then defensive tackle, Jordan Scott, uh, another three-year starter. All three of those guys, I think you could make a case for why they should go pro. And I think you can make a case of why they should come back. Uh, what those three guys and throwing forth for Austin Folio decide to do, I think, will be the difference in Oregon's defense being maybe a top three defense in the country next year to being maybe a, a top 15 defense in the country. No, I think that's fair. Um, you, you look at the way, the, what the impact would be, especially kind of on that secondary. And, and, I, and I think of that defensive line as well. I, I think the secondary could maybe actually handle losing a guy or two a little bit better, a little more easily than the defensive line in terms of just the depth. The defensive line would take such a hit if they lost one or both of those guys. Um, but, yeah, this defense is going to be legit regardless of what those guys decide. And I think that may be something that, even if you were just to ask these guys straight up, I think they know that, these players that are considering going pro. Of like, <clears throat> It's not a thing where you know you're leaving the cupboard really bare. 
you know, if Thomas Graham or Diamond Lenore, both of them or one of them decide to go, Oregon still has Mikhail Wright, a really talented corner waiting. They have a Verona Kinley. They've got, um, we can now say, uh, Dante Manning, Dante Manning. Luke, Luke Hill, a couple of All-American caliber uh, cornerbacks. Uh, Manning just committed. He's potentially going to be a five-star when they do the rankings again. Um, so that's a big-time addition. Um, so the, the cupboard's not bare there. Um, but you'd be looking at, obviously, younger players playing in roles where Graham and Lenore are, are, would be senior starters. And for a guy like Graham, that'd be four years um, starting on this defense. But regardless of what those guys do, I, I feel really confident in saying that's going to be one heck of a defense. As long as Andy Avalos is there, as long as most of these assistant coaches are there and, and the talent stays healthy, um, I mean, the sky's the limit, in my opinion. I think, the, I mean, the upside to me almost feels, I think the upside's probably higher than this year's defense. It's just a matter of where's the floor. And, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if Graham and Lenore or both of them go, they're going to have a ton of upside at corner, but they don't have those proven guys quite yet. And, right. if, and if Scott goes, it's the same thing. But, I mean, you look at having a defense where you could have upwards of four or five star starter starting. Uh, defensive players all in their first two years. Um, I mean, that is something Oregon has never had before. Um, you know, and I think it's very likely that they have three. I mean, I'm kind of throwing Manning in the discussion there, but, you know, I think Thibodeau's obviously starting, and I think Sewell and Flo, that's a talent group in the front seven that Oregon has just flat out never had, and you've got to be really excited about what that could look like uh, going ahead. The, the loss from a production and leadership standpoint of Troy Dye will be felt, you know, yes. no doubt about it. Yes. You, there's no way around that. You know, Lamar Winston's leadership off the field and on the field is also going to be uh, an impactful one. Um, Bryson Young and Gus Cumberlander were two guys that, as seniors, you know, the light came on for them. And when they were given the opportunity, you know, they both were, were very good players this season for Oregon. Cumberlander's season obviously came to a close earlier than expected because of injury. Uh, Bryson Young was the guy that recovered the fumble in the Rose Bowl to, to give Oregon the ball back to win the game. Um, <clears throat> so I think, I think, you know, Drayton Kralberg was a, a, a very, very good guy off the bench for Oregon, started a couple games this season along the defensive line. So you know, yeah, there's going to be seniors on the defensive side of the football that are going to be tough to replace. But as is the case when you recruit well, you're going to have options. And that's the thing I think that's most promising for Oregon in, two, in 2020 is, yeah, they lose some, you know, all-time caliber players, uh, but the, the guys that they're bringing into the program and the guys that have been developing behind them are pretty good themselves, and the potential for this group is is off the charts. Uh, and look at it this way. Jordan Scott, come, let's just assume all, all those guys come back. Jordan Scott is going to be an All-American caliber guy at nose tackle. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be an All-American type guy uh, at defensive end. You've got two cornerbacks that I think that are going to be, you know, all Pac-12 caliber guys. Maybe at the highest level they they can get into that discussion as an All-American. And then you've got two freshmen that, from a physical standpoint, you've never seen before at the linebacker spot. Just, you know, maybe very rarely. Maybe Kiko Alonso, uh, from a physical standpoint, um, at, you know, the sheer size and athleticism that Flo and Sewell are going to bring. Combined with the talent that an Isaac Slade has developed over the last two seasons, you know, manning the defense, quarterbacking the defense, uh, I, I think this defense is going to be off the charts good next season, uh, top three or four in in the country type good. 
uh, with what they've been able to do from the recruiting trail the last two seasons. And then on offensively, this is where I think that, you know, there's more questions here, certainly, because you lose Herbert, who's been the quarterback for four years. You lose four out of your five offensive starters along the offensive line, probably all of them going to the NFL in some capacity. Your top guy off the bench along the offensive line is gone. Uh, your, your star receiver, uh, one of your, your star receivers and Jawan Johnson is gone. Your tight end and Jacob Breland is gone. But because of Breland's injury halfway through the season, <clears throat> we got to see some of Spencer Webb and we got to see his development a little bit. And if he can continue to develop and have an offseason now where he strictly focuses at the receiver position, you know, he could take a jump. You still have a thousand yard rusher two straight years in a row in CJ Verdell. Uh, Travis Dye has ran for over 1400 yards in his first two seasons behind Verdell. Uh, Johnny Johnson has developed himself into, I think, a go-to receiver with over 800 yards receiving this year, led the team in touchdown receptions, but I think nine. Um, and then you've got arguably the best player on the team this season in 2019 and Penny Sewell. He will be back for his junior year. Uh, to man, you know, yes, there's going to be four new faces starting along the defense or offensive line, but you still have your best guy from this this season's team uh, back for his junior year. So I think there's going to be some rough patches with this offense, but I think the talent that they have coming back, the talent that they're adding, and the talent that's coming up through the depth chart behind these guys, there's potential for this group where, yeah, it could be rough, to, you know, goings for the first month of the season but maybe by week six or seven this group could be clicking once again at a, at a pretty high level yeah so much of it comes down to quarterback play i think and what oregon ends up doing there and, and do they take a grad transfer quarterback like we saw rumored um is it tyler shuck is it someone else um but this offense needs someone to step up in that regard and I think you're right about the offensive line. I actually feel somewhat optimistic that that eventually comes together and, and ends up at a really high level. I think the running game, uh, and a lot of this is also going to be dependent upon who's at, who the new offensive coordinator is too, but I think the running game should be better um, as long as they find ways to streamline it um, just because these running backs are a year older. Obviously, a lot of that's dependent upon the offensive line play, but for some reason, I think just because of how Cristobal has kind of demarketed himself and, and kind of everything we've heard about these youngsters. I feel like there's going to be enough talent there that they're going to be good. Um, I, I would probably have more concerns, honestly, in the passing game in terms of okay, whoever this new quarterback is, is he capable of taking the steps? And then at wide receiver, um, you know, I know they bring Johnny Johnson back. They bring Micah Pittman back. We think they probably bring – we haven't brought this up on podcast. We think they bring Jalen Red back, but yeah. um, that was sort of a bizarre circumstance, and I don't, we don't have any rumors there, but – certainly have to kind of wonder what's going on with him, given that he didn't play in the Rose Bowl for personal reasons. And we should say we saw him um, just a couple of days before the Rose Bowl down in Los Angeles with the team. So it's not like he, so something happened kind of a couple of days before. Um, but I just think you'd, you'd be maybe, and Dev, they also have a guy like Devin Williams coming in and stepping up, maybe a Chris Hudson, a Brian Addison, or a Josh Delgado continue to develop. But there are some questions, I think, at wide receiver um, that would cause me to have some concern and also some questions at tight end. You mentioned Spencer Webb, but, can he be a four-down guy? Can he block well enough to play? Um, or are they going to need to play a guy like Hunter Kampmeyer, uh, who is coming back? Is Cam McCormick going to be able to recover and, and ever be the player that – I mean, every offseason you hear about how fantastic he is. And, um, and every season, unfortunately, he seems to have issues staying on the field because of health. 
Um, hopefully that gets resolved and he's able to come back and, and play at a high level. But um, I, I think there's certainly, you know, offensively a lot of question marks um, to me in terms of, okay, who's the quarterback and then who's the quarterback throwing to? And I think to me that's going to be where this offense either has some success this year or they take a step back. I know that's no, and that's not breaking news saying that they're going to take a step back at quarterback because Justin Herbert, um, there's no Justin Herbert replacement on the roster next year. But um, to me, that's where I have maybe a little bit concerned. But I also just think this defense might be so good that they keep them in a lot of games and they're able to kind of find ways to win ugly. And we saw that throughout the season this year of, hey, the offense isn't really adept today, but the defense is going to keep you in the game long enough to make, uh, to give the offense a chance to make plays. And, and they had enough success doing it this year that I, I wouldn't think in 2020 that they can't have a similar success um, with a defense that could be even better. Yeah, and that's – you hit the nail on the head, but I think next year's team is going to rely on their defense to win them games. And it, it'll be up to just their offense. Hey, can you give can you give the offense 24 points? Can you give the offense 21 points? I, I don't know the number, but, I mean, this year's defense for, for Oregon averaged six, 16 points allowed per game. I, and I, I think it'll be right around there, if not maybe a little bit better next season, um, depending on what guys come back. Uh, for, for their senior seasons, but can, can Oregon's offense score 21 points, 24 points, 20, 27 points? And I think that's doable for an offense with so many new faces, but it also helps whoever wins the quarterback battle, uh, to know that, hey, you've got a star running back, your left tackle is the best offensive lineman in the country, and you've got a receiver, uh, that's turned himself into a go-to guy and it's kind of set up yeah obviously you'd like to have you know four or five offensive linemen back but you've got your you've got the best lineman in the country you've got a good running back and you've got a good receiver and as long as everything else kind of falls into place the quarterback whoever that is whether it's Tyler Shuck or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford or, or Kale Millen or if they go out and add a grad transfer um, whoever it is will at least know that He'll have some safety valves, and that's that's the biggest thing when breaking in a new new quarterback, having good safety valves. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that, and and I'm I'm just excited to see here what Oregon does offensively in terms of do they go find a grad transfer quarterback? I know we saw Jamie Newman from Wake Forest, his name connected to Oregon. Nothing further on that. I, I think that was something we saw a day or so before the Rose Bowl. So that that rumor's been kind of lingering for a while. Uh, do, do we see them go add a grad transfer at wide receiver like they did with Jawan Johnson? Do we see them do something similar on the offensive line? Um, do we see them find a couple of prep guys at receiver or offensive line to go out and add to, to maybe, you know, increase some depth there? I think offensive line you're feeling pretty good, but I think receiver you could certainly add a guy um, to, to, to try to add some depth. And are there good enough players out there right now to make that worthwhile? So. Um, you know the way this works. That they're not done with this roster. There's going to be some guys added here or there, and there's going to be some things that look a little different. Um, you know, when they start up spring ball, uh, you know, in a couple months here than they are right now on, on January 6th. So um, I, I'd be very curious. I think there are going to be some pretty critical additions possibly made here um, over the next couple of months that could be really significant in terms of what this roster looks like um, when they play. Uh, you know, down in September. Uh, I don't expect that we're looking at a finalized roster right now. And, I, and again, I'm still curious to see, like, what, what's going on with Jalen Redden, if we get any clarity on that. It, is that just a one-game situation? Is there more to be concerned about 
Um, but that could be a, a development that has really significant implications going forward because, like we saw, I think even in the Rose Bowl, uh, his absence was was pretty glaring, and, and you know his ability to make plays in the screen game in particular was was really missing. So um, you know his availability going forward, I think, is also really critical. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this uh, Monday edition show. Uh, we'll be back for our Mailbag Wednesday, so make sure to send in your questions uh, between now and Wednesday to Eric Scopel, uh on Twitter. Uh, and you can send them to my, myself as well, but send them to Eric because he's the one in charge of collecting all of those and building out the show there. So, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Frame, thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.